0: Hello, and welcome to the Finding Something Real podcast. My name is Tara Catherine, and I am the assistant of Janelle Wood, the host of this podcast. Today, we are replaying Janelle's conversation with Zoe and Andy Bannister from November 30th, 2022. Andy shares a bit about his faith journey and his experience going from being relatively quiet about his faith to working in public ministry. They talk about the questions young adults have about Jesus Christ and Christianity itself and what may be the cause of the decline of Christianity in Western culture. They talk about how humans can relate to God, why a relationship with Jesus is not performance-based, and more. If you have found this podcast to be helpful, we would love for you to consider supporting Finding Something Real. All support we receive goes directly into producing the podcast and keeping it on the air. We are so appreciative of all the support we receive. You can find a link to our Patreon in the show notes. We hope you enjoy today's episode.
1: Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast. This is your host, Janelle Wood. And friend, quickly here, before I jump into my usual intro, I want to ask you for your support. We are wrapping up season five, and as we prepare for a new season, launching in, Lord willing, February of 2023... If you are willing, you can help support finding something real and help it grow in one of three ways. Uh, First, you can share. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode or invite others by writing a review on Apple Podcasts, following on social media, or telling friends about our email list. There are a variety of ways to share. One of the other ways you can do that is you can invite me to come speak on your podcast or at your special event One of the things that I love to talk about is the realness of Jesus as well as practical ways to share faith with others. If you go to findingsomethingreal.com, I believe there's a tab on there. (laughs) I haven't looked recently, but you can look on there and it should say speaking. Click on that tab. You'll see a list of topics that I speak about. Um, Yeah, so that's one way to share. Another way is to give. Uh, If you love this program, the truth is it takes a team uh, behind the scenes, of people who care about what we're doing, giving their time, their talents, and their resources. And I am so grateful to report that for the past three years of doing this podcast, God has brought along some incredible people to help in all of those areas. You can learn more about supporting this podcast by clicking support at the top of the page when you go to findingsomethingreal.com. And finally, you can pray. Pray. If you are a believer, would you please pray for this ministry, that God would continue to grow it according to his will and for his glory. Please pray for the young women who would join me and guests who will join us for conversations in the coming months. Prayer is so powerful, and I thank you in advance for that. Okay, so now we'll head on to the regular programming. Hi, friend. You are listening to the Finding Something Real podcast podcast created especially for someone who's not sure about relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Janelle Wood, and while I have a background in counseling and ministry with women, the truth is I've been through my own seasons of questioning my faith. So if you've ever struggled with not being sure where you belong, or you felt like you were faking faith, I believe Christ is the hope and the answer to this world more than ever, but don't take my word for it. Listen to my friends as they share their own grace-filled journeys with you. My prayer is that if you haven't already, you'll find something real too. Welcome back to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This is your host, Janelle Wood. I am so glad you're listening in today. We almost forgot to press record. We meaning I. Um, We've been starting off each month this season, season five, with a different young woman, sharing her faith story and allowing her the space to ask some tough questions about God and Christianity. And this month, if you've been listening, we've been featuring conversations with or for Zoe from France. Zoe is an 18-year-old former exchange student, and we met last year when I was her exchange coordinator while she was in the U.S. She also lived with some of my favorite people in our town, and during her year here, became very good friends with our exchange student, Leonie, from Germany. So Zoe's a special person in my life, and in that first episode that aired earlier this month, Zoe shared questions she has about Christian faith. And since then, we've had some fantastic conversations, including the episode that aired last week with Zandra Carroll. I loved the way that Zandra spoke to Zoe's questions. So if you haven't already, I highly recommend you go and check out all the episodes from this month and hear more of Zoe's faith journey. Check out those episodes at findingsomethingreal.com. We'll also link them in the show notes. I am very excited to say that Zoe was able to come back here today. And I know it's after nine in France and technology never ceases to amaze me. So Zoe, thank you for being here today. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh,
1: well, it's always a privilege to record these with you. And this is our last one besides the Patreon episode that will air. Um, I know you mentioned last week uh, something that after these conversations, you usually spend a few days thinking about what we talked about. Um, did that happen after last week's conversation with Zandra? And it was, so what stood out to you from that conversation?
2: Uh, yes, it happened uh, again. And uh, well, basically everything that she said, uh, you know, she talked about a rainbow and how she sees the rainbow in a different way, like She said that people said rainbow is just photons with uh, dots of rain, but she Mm -hmm. sees that at um, the way of God putting new uh, photons and drops of rain creating the rainbow. And just Mm -hmm. it just made me think of like everything that I see, I can see differently.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. It was just it
1: was just really weird. (laughs) It messed with you all week. Not all week, but a few days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zoe, I'm thrilled uh, that we will be talking today with someone um, that I really admire. In fact, I just watched one of the videos that I think it was like four years ago where he was talking about some of the science uh, behind reasons why he believes. And I just thought it was so compelling. But Dr. Andy Bannister is the director of SOLUS and an adjunct lecturer at Wycliffe College, University of Toronto. Andy holds a PhD in Islamic studies and is an adjunct research fellow at the Center for the Study of Islam and Other Faiths at Melbourne School of Theology. Andy is also the author of an academic book, an oral formulaic study of the Quran, and two popular level books, The Atheist Who Didn't Exist or The Terrible Consequences of Really Bad Arguments, and his latest, Do Muslims and Christians Worship the Same God?, I also think he has another book coming out uh, pretty soon, too. We'll talk I about do. that. <laughs> when not traveling, speaking or writing, Andy is a keen hiker, mountain climber, and photographer. He is married to Astrid, and they have two children, Katrina and Christopher. He's also been a guest on one of my favorite podcasts, Unbelievable, with Justin Brierly. Mm. And I've loved listening to his perspective there as well. So happy to have you here, Andy. Thank you for being on the Finding Something Real podcast.
3: It's uh, great to be with you, Janelle, and great great to meet you, Zoe. So uh, there we are, three three countries on the, on the podcast tonight, very exciting.
1: I know, it's wonderful. Well, and it's nighttime where you're at because you're in the UK, but here it's, you know, 12 o'clock, yeah. it's lunchtime, it's crazy. Um, Andy, you also have your own podcast too, if I'm not mistaken, because I listened to some of that in preparation for this
3: now that that always gets tricky you know when people are vague like that because there are two podcasts <laughs> i'm involved in through, so, so through solas okay uh, the organization i'm part of here we have we have pep talks it might have been that one okay so that's that was where myself one. yeah so myself and uh and christy mayor who's a good, good friend of mine uh in london brilliant kind of young philosopher she and i every two weeks we get a guest on just to talk about some aspect of of their christian faith how they communicate that with with others and it's fantastic we've had everything from you know academics to artists to you know bus drivers to you know you name it everybody uh the one is and and, and his wife or her husband has come through that show so yeah we have a lot of fun that so no i do have, so there's that there's that podcast
1: okay but there's another one now oh, yeah well no. the
3: other one there's a little <laughs> podcast on the side so a couple of years ago during covid when everyone was bored right and looking for, looking <laughs> for projects a friend and i who we often we would get on Zoom and spend hours, you know, drinking whiskey together and uh, and, and the, the Scotch stuff, not what passes for whiskey in America, it must be said. <laughs> um, Talking about sort of life, the universe and theology and God and everything. We, were said, we, we said to ourselves, we should try start recording these things and seeing if we could do them as a podcast. And I think we genuinely thought, like, our families might listen and that was it. So we thought we might get 12 or 13 listeners. But we ended up with over 1,000. So we, he and I do a show called Pod of the Gaps um and that's every two weeks so we take a big contemporary issue something perhaps contentious uh in the media and um and we try and explore it in a thoughtful way from a from a christian perspective because there's a lot of shouting at each other on the internet and we want to go how can we create a space where we can talk about you know whether it's science or sexuality or sports you know here we are world cup season uh or media or or whatever it is uh ecology how can we think about these things because i love that comment that you you know you made zoe that zandra and made you kind of think about the fact that christianity potentially kind of sheds light on everything you can't if it's true you can't see things that you've taken for granted the same way and so that podcast unpacks some of that with some terrible humor because i must (laughs) say i do like a dad joke (laughs)
1: Oh, that's awesome! We'll put a link in the show notes so that people can find you, your ministry, and um, the podcast. But for those of y- people who are listening who have not heard of Solas, would you share a little bit more about what that is and what your ministry is all about?
3: Yeah, that's very um, that's very kind of you, Janelle, to ask. So, uh, so Solas is the is the Gaelic word, the Scots word. It means light. And so Solas is a ministry started in Scotland about 12 years ago. I've been with it for about half that time. And so we really do a couple of things at uh, at Solas. The first thing we like to do is take the message of Jesus and try and take it outside the four walls of the churches and into places where people who wouldn't have any faith would be more relaxed to go. So we help churches put on events in you know coffee shops, restaurants, cafes, pubs. So maybe that's not such a big thing in the States, but here pub culture is a big thing. We do events on universities and workplaces really helping people think about the big questions of life in a way that's sort of engaging and winsome and trying to show that perhaps christian faith makes good sense of some of these big questions Mm -hmm. and then the other half what we do is teaching and training and equipping christians to be able to talk about their faith in a thoughtful way an engaging way with their friends neighbors colleagues classmates and so forth and then we do both those things as well online so we've got a big website with lots of uh, digital media Uh, content there. One of the things we're famous for, we do this, we've got this series now running for a few years now called short answers, where we take a tough question about the Christian faith and we try and give a five minute answer to it, Um, which is not always easy because some big, a lot of big questions deserve more than five minutes, but we think for even the biggest question, you can probably at least scratch the surface in five minutes and get people perhaps thinking of it. So that's the kind of thing we do.
1: I love it. I love it. And I have really enjoyed the conversations that I've, heard you having over on unbelievable we've had justin Brierly on this podcast a few times oh brilliant yeah yeah, awesome. just- yeah, but i loved the conversation that you had i can't remember who it was with but it was about the queen's funeral and about it ian being- Dunt,
3: who's a journalist
1: okay yeah. yeah and it was so it was so rich it was such a great conversation so i'm gonna link that in the show notes too because i think everyone should listen to it but um so that's a little uh, sneak peek. Go listen to that <laughs> episode, um, Andy. How did you personally come to faith? Has Christianity always been part of your story?
3: In a sense, yes, it has. And so I was uh, I was raised in a, in a Baptist uh, kind of family in in London, England, uh, where I where I grew up. I mean, I always always like to say you don't have to be a Baptist to go to heaven but why take chances it's fine <laughs> well, no so I grow see I mean dad jokes right I can see Zoe going what no make it stop it's hardly started but make it stop and um no so I raised a Baptist at uh, home and then I think like a lot of kids from that kind of background faith for most of my beginning of my life was what my parents did so I I did it but I did it because they did it and it was wasn't until I was about 13 or 14 that I think a little light bulb moment came when I thought hang on if this is if this is true then I need to respond to it for myself it's not enough to kind of sort of you know have my parents follow Jesus and me tag on their coattails I need to say yes myself and so it was a I was at a youth camp youth uh, a youth weekend away age about 13 or 14 it was literally a dark and stormy night and the tent was shaking and the youth uh, of the I was preaching uh, his heart out and something connected and so I sort of, you know, went forward in the, the meeting and kind of raised my hand, as it were, and said, I want to I want to follow Jesus for myself mm-hmm. and and haven't haven't looked, haven't looked back. Although what, what is interesting, looking back, questions have always been part of my faith because very early on, after that moment, I began then, you know, asking questions. I'd ask my leaders and stuff. Well, hang on about this. What about this? And I've always been someone who philosophy and big questions of life intrigue me mm-hmm. um, and stuff. So so in a sense what I do now is just an extension of what I was doing then just the questions are perhaps bigger uh, as you get older.
1: Did you always know that you wanted your occupation to be linked to ministry?
3: No, not at all. In fact, um, for my first first few years of life, first, five, first six years of my working life, I worked for a local hospital and uh, doing conference management. So I helped them put on medical conferences and the such like. And that was that was huge fun. And interestingly, at that time, I was still figuring my faith out because I was very much a private christian at that point I don't, I don't think i ever really let on at work i was a christian i i hid my faith mm. away i kind of um i was basically an undercover christian but i've long thought undercover christian would make a great movie title you know <laughs> Christian sneaking around at uh, at work trying not to get outed mm. um uh, but then after six years of, of doing that i had the first opportunity to go into full-time kind of ministry i was doing a little bit of youth kind of stuff at church on the side but i had this amazing opportunity to particularly given that i hadn't really got the experience for the job but there was um a group of parents who'd been praying for some of the local schools in in the part of london next to mine and they'd ra- they raised enough money to hire a youth worker uh to come and try and build be a bridge between the churches and the schools so my job was to go into the schools as often as i could find any way i could to get into schools uh, and build bridges there with the um, with the uh, young people so I did everything from you know helping kids who couldn't read to helping with sport to you know teaching religious studies classes when there are open opportunities helping the christian campus groups anything and everything and it was huge fun um because you learn to communicate very quickly here in the here in the uk we have i don't know it's in the in, a, in the states or in in france but we have most schools here have assemblies the whole school is gathered together usually there's a sort of little sort of thought for the day type thing so I would often get to go and give those and so I learned very quickly that when you're basically with a thousand young people age 11 to 18 on a Monday morning you've got five minutes to talk to them they don't really want to listen to you and if you get too direct in what you talk about the headmaster won't ask you back you learn very quickly um and so I got a crash course in in speaking fast and succinctly uh so I yeah I love that so yeah so that was when I first stepped into this line of work and then really what pushed me into this line of work was that book you mentioned the Muslim book was uh in my in my mid-20s uh encountering muslims in london discovering they believe very different things to what i believed they asked some very darn good questions actually really challenged me to think through what i believe really challenged me to look quite deeply into well okay is christianity true because it's not the only option there are other options out there um and that eventually asking those questions went all the way to a phd which was fascinating i just sort of you know the, the rabbit hole didn't stop for a while <laughs>
1: Well, you mentioned being an undercover Christian, and it sounds like that didn't last very long. Um, You're in the UK, as we mentioned. Zoe's in France. I'm here in the western part of the United States. And while the majority of listeners to this podcast may be from the U.S., we definitely have different cultures represented in the audience as well. So I feel like this is an important question. What is the cultural climate, so to speak, regarding faith where you're at, Andy? Um, what is it like to be, are there a lot of undercover Christians, do you find?
3: Yes. And in fact, interestingly, just today, there were headlines made in the in, in, in the UK, a lot of the major newspapers running with a story that um, the, the last uh, national census data has just come out in the last few days. And one thing that's been, that's come out of it is that, um, Christians are, are a minority now in the UK. Less than fifty percent of people in the UK identify as Christian. I think it's forty-eight point six percent, or something like that. That sounds about right. um After, I mean, obviously, nineteen percent statistics are made up on the spot. um <laughs> That's a, see, another dad joke. Um, but there'd be a lot of hoo-ha about that. But it was interesting. I found looking at that is quite interesting because. The UK has always been quite a secular country, all the time that I remember. Yes, and it's probably the same in the in in the in the US. I would imagine less in France for, for, for Zoe's context. But here, I think there's been a, a lot of people who've always just would say, "Well, I'm Christian because I'm white British," and and so therefore that's Christian is a, is a, is a cipher for that's my my culture. And I think one of the things is interesting actually, and why I look at that figure today, and I don't get particularly worried. I think one of the things that has happened of late, especially I think COVID has accelerated this actually. A lot of people who are just, you know, non-ly Christian, that's kind of burns away. Um, we lost a lot of those during COVID, people who perhaps just showed up on a Sunday because of what they'd always done, um, then never reappeared again after the pandemic. But how deep that, that faith was originally, I don't, I don't know. Now in the UK, what's interesting is if you go to a church and grab a random churchgoer, you are probably very likely to get a, a, a person who you know he or she is going to believe in God pretty seriously because it's there are lots of other options out there um and then the other thing I would add about the UK right now is I think it's spiritually it's very open which is interesting I was in you know intrigued Zoe that that rainbow story that you told I would say I, I, I do a lot of stuff on university campuses and I think lots of people are asking questions about things like you know beauty ecology, Meaning, purpose, identity, suffering—all those kind of things—and if you can talk about those and open up conversations about that, people are very interested. Um, I think if you come after some of the more traditional things, if I did an event on the campus and advertised a you know, debate on "Does God Exist," you might not get many people. Advertise an event saying "Why is there suffering?" or "You know, do human rights exist?" or "You know, is you know, how do we save the planet?" question mark or something—you'll get hundreds of people. So I think we live in this very interesting times right now. And I think for you guys in the U.S., it occurs to me as a U.S. watcher from over here, I think you're following that path. I think the U.S., Mm -hmm. you know, is secularizing. And I think many Christians find that frightening. I don't think it has to be frightening. Actually, I just think we need to we need to adapt. Jesus doesn't change, but the culture and the people asking the questions change. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the talk that I was listening to that you gave, I think it was four years ago, you were talking at the beginning of your, your conversation, you shared about how Christianity is growing in Africa, mm. in China, and different countries. It's moving south and east and in the west, you know, it's, it's changed so much. And I, why do you think that is? Why do you think that Christianity is declining, that it's no longer popular to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian?
3: I think a number of things are going on in fact so many things are going on it's hard in some ways to, to unpack all of that but just a few observations i think the first thing uh i would say is of course i'm not I'm actually i'm not actually sure it is declining in the west i, I think i want to sort of, you know re- reference that now i think it's much more complicated actually because one of the things that's complicated is immigration because one of the other stories out of today is that in two of our major cities in the uk um that you know, British people are, are a minority. In London, there are more people who were born outside the UK living there than there are people born in the UK. London is incredibly diverse. Well, you look into that and you go, well, that's fascinating because a lot of our biggest churches in London would be immigrant churches. Some of the Black Pentecostal churches are massive. Uh, the Iranians, I know that that context because of my stuff with, with Muslims. You know, the Iranians are the fastest-growing church in the world. Um, in terms of the number of people putting faith in Jesus Um, so you've got all those patterns going on and also then people coming into the UK and I think this is probably probably the same for the US too because you have a lot of um, certainly coming across the border from the south with a lot of uh, you know a lot of Hispanics coming into the country now they're often quite conservative and quite religious and we're seeing the same here that actually although it's the you know, perhaps the Indigenous British population is sort of a bit sort of cynical and secular. A lot of the communities that are coming in and are making the UK home are far more serious in their faith. And that's fantastic. Um mm. You know, I remember the other the other month or so meeting a, you know, meeting a mission, a street evangelist on the streets of London. He was an African guy who'd come here to, you know, win the UK for Christ. I was like, this is fantastic. Because <laughs> 200 years ago, you know, we were sending missionaries to, to, to their country and now they're sending missionaries to us. And it's like, I love it. That is just phenomenal. Um, so I think it's exciting what's going on. And as you say, on the world scene, it's unbelievable. I mean, China is about to be the most populous Christian country. I mean, who mm-hmm. saw that one coming? Um, Africa had 9 million Christians in it, I think, about you know, 1900, I think is the figure. It's going to hit 600 million uh, this mm-hmm. century. I mean, there's, those are astonishing figures. Yeah. Um, so we we forget. It's very easy to assume that the church is Europe, or the churches of the USA. But one of my, um, there's a wonderful, well, there was, there was a wonderful, he died a couple of years ago, a wonderful African theologian called Lamin Sana, who I love his writings. And Lamin wrote a wonderful book a few years ago called Whose Religion is Christianity? And he makes the point, he said, Christianity is the only world faith tradition that has shifted geographically in the way it has. So Islam begins in Arabia. It remains centered on Arabia. Muslims today pray in Arabic facing Mecca, in Arabia. So it's still an Arabian faith. Thailand uh, is still the world center of Buddhism. Over 90% of the world's Buddhists are found in Thailand or that part of Asia. Christianity said on the other hand, it begins in the Middle East, it grows out of the Middle East and becomes very quickly an African faith. You know, all those early church, you know, fathers, Augustine and all those guys, they were all North Africans. Mm. So it's a very African faith. Then it comes into Europe. You know, and we've got, you know, Spain, France, across into the UK, becomes a European faith. Then with the Pilgrim Fathers, it hops across the Atlantic and becomes an American faith. Then it goes south and becomes a, 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 you know, a South and Southern American faith. Now it's migrated into China and is largely a Chinese and African faith in terms of the, the center of where the numbers are. Uh, and Lamin says you can't pin it down. Isn't it amazing? Because Christianity transcends culture. You can't, you can't pin God down to a culture and it's beautiful. And his answer, the book is called Whose Religion is Christianity? And his answer is everyone's and no one's. It's everyone because Jesus is for anybody, but it's nobody's because nobody has the right to go, it's ours. Um, because you can't you can't get away with that.
1: Wow. I got chills when you were sharing that because I was thinking of how Jesus, at the end, you know, when he, he was about to return to heaven, just says, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's just beautiful to actually see that happen. I um, I want to give Zoe a chance here to ask. Yes, I'll say so, so we need
3: to. Zoe's been sitting so patiently. No, so
1: it's been awesome. Uh, any thoughts or comments on what Andy shared so far, or any questions you want to ask him because he knows a lot of. I don't just don't but it, don't don't pick it up too much
3: i don't know everything but i can if i if i if, if you do ask a question i don't know i usually know a woman or a man who does not know the answer. so uh,
2: yeah i had a question uh you talked before about uh, uh muslims so mm. you uh you talked with muslim people did that change the way you <clears throat> saw god in christianity like did that make your relations stronger or did that make mm. your relation with God differently after
0: having a different point of view?
3: Oh, well, yeah! What a great, what a great question, Zoe. Thank you for that. So, I would say two things happened, Zoe. Firstly, when I first began talking with Muslims in London, it actually quite it quite shook my faith. Actually, because the Muslims I met were very confident. Uh, they had questions I never encountered before a lot of them had actually been trained how to engage with Christians and how to ask difficult questions because a lot of mosques do do that because Muslims are are passionate about their faith they're they're a missionary faith as as well so I remember that, that initially quite shook me but I'm always a great believer in you know if you get come across a question you can't answer you don't assume the other person is right you go and dig around a bit first of all it could be they are right or it could just be you haven't found the answer yeah and so I did quite a bit of reading I talked to, to men and women I knew I knew new Islam infinitely better than I did I had a few even at that point one or two friends who were former Muslims and so I read and read widely um which initially then helped me get answers to some of the questions which meant I could then hang in the conversations a bit better but then as I dug deeper as I went into the PhD years Zoe then what I found out is you know that sort of second half of your your question I think it actually it actually, deepened my faith in God because I guess I went into things assuming that look, Muslims and Christians worship the same God. You know, they both believe in one God, it must be the same God, right? That was my default position. But as I learned Arabic, as I studied the Quran deeply, as I began really exploring that question of what is God like? I suddenly realized actually, both the Quran and the Bible assume that God exists. Neither of them set out to argue for his, his evidence why God exists, they assume God exists. But what they're both interested in is what is God like? And when you study that question, you realize this is profoundly different visions. Um, And I think having been brought up on the Bible, I took things for granted. I took it for granted that God is relational. The God of the Bible is a God who who walks and talks with his his people. He's a God who steps into history in the person of Jesus. I assume that was the default. Well, it isn't because the God of the Quran doesn't do that. Um, The God of the Bible is a God who makes himself known who invites us to know not just about him but to know him and again i assume that was standard it's not the quran doesn't do that and then lastly the interesting one is love i think i assumed well every faith tradition teaches that god is love but actually it doesn't because the quran doesn't really use those those categories um you know you don't you don't get to call god your father in the quran he didn't god in the quran didn't step into history and give his life for you to demonstrate how much he loves you. And though, where does the Quran say that God is, is love? It says lots of things about God, but not, not that. Um, the Bible does do all those things. So actually, I I guess I would say I fell in, I fell in love more with the God of the Bible mm-hmm. the more I looked at Islam. But I just want to clarify, though, it doesn't mean I am very careful because I love my Muslim friends. I respect them. I have valued the engagement with them over the years. So just because I do not believe the Quran is true doesn't mean I have negative views of Islam or anything like it. In fact, quite the opposite. I, my, my, my my hope and our prayer is that Muslims I know I can help them see Jesus for who he is. And I've had the privilege over the years of seeing Muslim friends who've come to faith in Christ. And it's, it's fantastic. It's just wonderful. Um, I had a dear friend for some years, who's uh, dead now, but a friend of mine called Nabil Qureshi. He was a Pakistani uh muslim and became a christian and wrote an amazing book called seeking allah finding jesus it is just such a wonderful story because nabil was a passionate muslim and he wanted he wanted to know god better and as he tried to know god better he discovered to his utter surprise that the god he was pursuing was jesus uh and it's just such a lovely story and if you get a chance to read it that was a new york times bestseller um his testimony yeah. So I hope that helps a little bit. That was a long answer to yeah. a brilliant question. Thank you for that.
1: You got some more brilliant questions over there, Zoe.
2: Um, no, no. I uh, I also have Muslim friends, so we we'll sometimes talk about that. And it's just, yeah, for me, there's like so much interesting thing in like all religions. And I don't know. I just wanted his opinion. But.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing I would say straight away, by the way, is... Is I think um, the fact that there's so many religions, as you as you observe, I mean that that in itself is interesting, right? Because I I find it fascinating that wherever you look in space and time and history, um, human beings have always been profoundly religious, and I think that's a, you know that's a clue. I'm a great believer I'm a great believer. That there's lots of clues. I like that language throughout the the universe. You mentioned beauty, and that's a big one. For me, I'm a mountain climber. For those of you, I don't know if you I don't know if they're doing the video of this podcast, but behind me is this mountain picture. That's the English lake highest point in England on the wall behind <laughs> me there. And to go, you know, why do we why do we find beauty appealing? Why do we climb mountains? Um, but why are we spiritual? I mean, it's interesting to say, wherever you look around the world and through history, men and women have always been religious. And even today, even in secular societies, you could even argue that actually when when the traditional gods get chased out the front door, Other things come through the back door. So, you know, I have friends who are atheists, but they, you know, they read their horoscope, or they meditate, or uh, you know, some of the sort of, uh, you know, some of the political movements in our culture become almost like, almost like religions. You know, I'm I'm a passionate environmentalist, but parts of the environmental movement have become almost like a religion uh, for some people because we can't avoid the fact we're we're deeply religious. Um, Mm. So, I find that fascinating. So tell me about this. Be- tell me about the rainbow, though. I found that interesting, Zoe. I'm going to turn this around because you said that you hadn't got any questions for a moment. So that sounds that sounds fascinating. What was it that What was it that Sandra said that that made you start looking at nature in different ways?
2: Well, she just uh, made a comparison. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Between, a comparison. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, between how, like, some people would just say that rainbow is like just a reaction between to uh, thing, but she saw that more as uh, it's a reaction between two things that God created. And hmm. that makes that even more beautiful that he was able to create such a beautiful thing. And uh, it just made me think that so everything that I can see around me, I can see differently, not just it's something in the nature, it's actually something that was created and it was created that way and that's why it's beautiful.
3: Yeah. I think I think that's, I think that's something really helpful she shared with you there because I think one of the things that I've I found fascinating over the years right is going I think if we live in a godless universe and I'm always it's always helpful to the the contrast right going okay if all that exists are atoms and particles and molecules or if god in some form exists you know beauty is one of those things that doesn't really fit very well into materialistic universe because if we just live in that world of atoms and particles then you know the only story to explain us is evolution evolution is selected for us for fitness uh your job as a biological entity is to reproduce and pass your dna on into the next generation and then your job is done well where's appreciating rainbows fit into that um unless that helps you reproduce in some way maybe you kind of you know meet a member of the opposite sex talking about rainbows or something (laughs) Uh, but other than that is pointless or or mountains I remember once talking to an atheist friend about this who who looked a bit puzzled he went oh yeah it's a is a is a challenge he sat and thought about it for a moment he went oh well maybe maybe our love of natural beauty comes because you know tens of thousands of years ago our ancient ancestors Mm -hmm. knew that you know a beautiful natural landscape with you know grasslands and a river running through. It was a good place to hunt game. And so that's where the love of beauty came from. And I looked at him and I went, dude, I've just come back from, uh, you know, trekking in the Himalayas. I went to the North Face base camp of Everest where it's just ice and glaciers and rock. Trust me. I don't think even the most nut mental caveman would have thought the North Face of Everest is a good place to go hunting bison. (laughs) So, so yeah, I think whether it's rainbows or mountains or a beautiful piece of music or a piece of art, whatever it is that you know you are, you appreciate. And gosh, you know you are in France. What a culture! You know your culture is full of amazing works of, of art of all descriptions. I think that's a big, great big clue, personally, that something much bigger is going on.
1: Andy, one of the apologetics that I heard you talking about uh, in, a, in a video that I watched was math. You talked mm. about math, and I've never yes. heard anyone talk about that. Would you briefly share that? Because I found that so compelling. Yeah. It's, yeah.
3: Well, it's biblical, right? You've got the book of numbers. <laughs> Sorry, another dad joke. Um, yeah, I love the transatlantic difference here, because, of course, for you, it's math. For us, oh. it's maths. <laughs> and uh, what is it in France, Zoe? Is, you, is, it, is, it, is, it, is it plural when you talk about mathematics in, in French, or is it yeah, singular? It's plural. Right. There we go. <laughs> Europeans are united. <laughs> uh, love it so um so yeah so math is um I stumbled across that a few years ago so it's not original to me I forget who I first read on this. I read a book by a couple of mathematicians you just made an interesting point that really got me excited because I'm someone who loves I do love as well as the arts I love the sciences as well. there was a lot of sort of sciencey computing stuff involved in my PhD which I won't bore you with but um maths right but so maths is interesting because you know math uh, is all about numbers. Well, here's the question. What exactly is a number? There's a nice deep philosophical question for you. It's the afternoon for you, for for Zoe and I, it's like the evening. So, you know, (laughs) we're half asleep. But what is a number? What is the number two or the number seven or, you know, any number you care to pick? Well, of course, if we live in a, a purely materialistic universe, a universe with no God behind it. okay, numbers are basically something that Mesopotamian goat herders, invented sometime around about two two and a half thousand bc was we think when number systems were invented probably to keep track of their goats so people started scratching marks on their rocks and bits of clay to keep track of things so numbers are a purely human invention initially invented to you know keep track of basic things like that okay if that's what a number is how on earth is it that numbers Plug into the laws of physics. How is it that numbers can be used to describe the curvature of space-time, the interior geometry of black holes? Um, you know, what is going on? Either those Mesopotamian goat herders got very lucky, or something much bigger is going on. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who's a mathematics prof in Oxford, and he sort of he he sort of reinforced that discovery, the observation I'd come across. He went, absolutely, he went, he said, when we mathematicians do mathematics he said we are not creating we are discovering maths doing mathematics is like exploring another country you know nobody invented uh, mount everest we discovered it the europeans discovered it in 1850 whatever um the same when we do when we do mathematics we're discovering this this realm of mathematics so that raises the stonkingly big question where is that realm located we're not talking about physical things we're not talking about atoms and particles things like numbers uh, and mathematical constructs. Well, they exist in minds, don't they? That's where those things live, they live in minds. So that would rather be a bit of a clue to the idea that, well, if these things then plug into the laws of physics, that power of the very universe, surely perhaps the best explanation is behind the universe is a mind of some kind, because otherwise, what on earth is going on? Um, and in fact, it was a very famous paper, mathemati- uh, scientific paper written by an atheist Um, mathematician in the 1950s i think was eugene wigner who was hungarian so another score one for the europeans and uh he wrote a paper called the unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics and the physical sciences and that was the paper that first put that idea out there and he uses the word miracle he says it's a miracle it's literally a miracle that these numbers um that we play around with actually work in the real World, it's a we you know we we can't explain it. We just need to be profoundly grateful that they do. But it's a total mystery. Um, but it's not if you're a Christian, of course, because you can go well. You know, we believe that you know a, a God who is ordered and rational creates the universe that is rational and ordered, and mathematics is just one of the many ways that men and women in the sciences are discovering that every day.
1: Hmm. Zoe, I was watching your face during all of that, and a couple times you. Yeah. <laughs> You looked astonished. What was going through your mind when he explained that?
2: Well, I never saw math that way. Maybe I would have liked it better. <laughs> if told me that before. <laughs> I love it. But it's wow. No, it's it's really interesting. uh yeah. I I've really never thought about that yeah. in that way for me. It was just number, and it was just. Yeah, it was something different than physics, but I never saw it. At, it fit yeah. with physical, um, like theory and stuff like that.
3: Well, I'm with you on on not really enjoying. I struggled my way through through maths when I was um when I was younger. Um, well, let me blow your mind some more then, actually, um, just for some fun then. If you're not someone who's naturally into mathematics, uh, Zoe, is the, there's the other weird connection. Is mathematics and beauty. So we've talked a bit about beauty this evening because you gave that beautiful illustration of the rainbow. Well, some very curious ways that maths and beauty align. For example, there's a thing called the Fibonacci sequence, which is a sequence of numbers invented by an Itali- discovered by an Italian mathematician called something Fibonacci, and don't ask me to get the I'll, I'll get the dates totally wrong. Just people listening can Google it. And the Fibonacci sequence is a series of numbers where each number is the product is the sum of the numbers before it. So it goes one, one, two, three, five, eight, 11, and so on. Each 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 number in the sequence is the sum of the number two numbers before it. Now, why is that interesting? <laughs> is, is that just a random <laughs> series of numbers? Well, that number turns up all over nature. That Matt, that describes the he first discovered it in in it, well, it turns out in the way that rabbit populations grow. Rabbits breed very fast. But the Fibonacci sequence totally describes the way that rabbit populations grow. Um, you can draw a curve. You can plot a curve using that spiral, using those numbers. That spiral turns up in the leaves of plants. It turns up in the curve of shells. Um, turns up all over the all over the place. And there seems to be something particularly attractive. It turns up all over art. Uh, so the Mona Lisa, which is hanging on the wall of the Louvre in Paris and your uh, wonderful country. Um, Somebody observed that actually the Fibonacci spiral actually can be mapped onto the face of Mona Lisa. And there's something very pleasing and very beautiful about that spiral when it turns up in nature. We don't know why. We can't figure out why. Symmetry is is very important in nature. You know, if, if you ask people to rank faces or, you know, whether it's photographs or paintings of people by how attractive they they find them the more symmetrical mathematically symmetrical the face the more attractive uh, we find it and then of course all over architecture and and so on so there's a very strong link between maths and uh, and beauty as well and in fact if you want to put this in your show notes janelle there is a wonderful book written by two american mathematicians so the two, four, <laughs> one for the americans uh, called mathematics <laughs> through the eyes of mathematics through the eyes of faith i um. I forget the authors off the top of my head, but if you Google mathematics through the eyes of faith, you will find uh, the authors for that. It is available from wherever good books are sold, or if you're totally desperate, you can use Amazon.
1: (laughs) All right. I want to pivot this conversation just a tad because I've had a number of young women, especially from uh, Europe uh, on this podcast, girls that I love. And one of the things that I hear sometimes is, it's just not relevant to my culture like no one that i know is talking about this no one's talking about god um zoe are you you're, you're shaking your head do you agree with me yeah you don't have you've never had a conversation before you came here about god with your peers is that correct yeah no i've never really had that mm. yeah So, Andy, would you speak to the relevance of Christianity? We talked a little bit about Mm. Christianity, you know, that it hasn't really died down. It's growing in different parts of the world. In uh, the Western part of the world, it's been taken over by, I would say, secularism, maybe humanism. I don't know. But how is Jesus Christ, Mm. who was the same yesterday, today, and forever, that's what the Bible says, how is that relevant to someone like Zoe, and how does it change your life believing in him?
3: Yeah, I well, mean, the first thing I'd say, I mean, I, Zoe, I totally appreciate it. it can be hard if you're the only one kind of thinking about some of these things. Although I, I would not be totally surprised if perhaps you have sort of friends around you who, though, though they may not have admitted it, actually do occasionally lie awake at night thinking about some of the bigger questions of life. They may not have attached it to the God piece, but I think I've come across that with friends, particularly when tragedy strikes, actually, sometimes it takes when, you know, something goes wrong in life, when suffering happens, that is often a wake up call for people to start asking, or, you know, I had a, you know, a friend when they lost their job, that was the clinch moments Again, going, gosh, you know, everything I've been living for is this, and this thing has now gone, now, now, now what? Um, but on the, on the general relevance question, Janelle, what I would say is that I think I love the way that you mentioned that Christianity has in some ways been you know, supplanted by, by humanism. What I think humanism has done, and it's a little conjuring, it's a little trick that hasn't been noticed, is, is sec- as humanism came in, took all of the kind of fruit and products, as it were, of Christianity that only actually work if God exists, threw God out, and they're sort of hoping nobody will notice. Mm. The classic example I would give of that, and I use this example when I speak on university campuses all the time, is human rights um because take any human rights abuse you you care to mention i mean this week i don't know what it's been like in the in america and uh, and, and in france what's been in your headlines but over here two stories that i found quite interesting because they've occurred in the same week has been all of those riots in the in the apple factories uh, making the iphones out there in, in china with chinese effectively effectively chinese slave labor in those factories and it's this dirty little secret that there's Apple, the company we all love, because it makes these amazing products, actually lift the surface and to go, there are some quite dodgy employment practices. And finally, a lot of those Chinese workers have gone, forget it, we've enough of being treated like, 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 like rats in a cage. So it's outrageous, that's been one of these. And then also Qatar with the World Cup. And um, you know obviously the more obvious thing that's being talked about is LGBT rights in Qatar. But I've also said to people, I'm a bit distressed that actually there isn't enough talk given about women's rights in Qatar or against slave labour. A lot of those stadiums were built by immigrant labour treated like slaves in in the Middle East. It's horrendous the way that Qatar has behaved. So two big human rights abuses have gone on and been in the news. Okay, what is actually wrong with abusing somebody's human rights? What is wrong with oppressing somebody? What is wrong with treating somebody like just like a slave or just a cog in a machine? What's actually wrong with that, if we live in a purely materialistic universe, if there is no God, then what do we mean when we talk about human rights? Why is it that possessing human DNA magically gives you the set of rights and privileges and value and so forth that we don't give to, you know, ants and aardvarks and lettuces and so on. And the reason you see where human rights comes from originally, we've forgotten the story, human rights is a deeply, deeply Christian Idea. It emerged uh, actually in the sort of 16 and 1700s uh, from Christian thinkers wrestling with the with the question of how do we deal with some of the abuses that were going are going on in the colonies, particularly the Spanish colonies in southern South America, where there was lots of mistreatment going on, and people began to ask the question, okay, you know, is this appropriate to treat natives like this? And out of that emerged the idea that actually everybody. European or non-European are made in the image of God, as Genesis says, they all have value and dignity and therefore it is inappropriate to treat people this way. And you fast forward through 300 years and you end up as that idea is built upon, you end up with the 1948 Universal Declaration of Human Rights or the American Declaration of Independence, you know, all men and women are born born equal. It's a Christian idea. Um, Throw God out makes no sense. So I would say the relevance of Christianity lies in the moment that you look at anything going on in the world and you say there's an injustice. I don't think you can say that without some kind of foundation. And that's before we get to things like all those parts of life that, you know, Zoe and and I and and Eugene and others would take for, for granted. You know, the fact we love beauty, the fact we do mathematics, the fact we can think um you know there's a big philosophical question we haven't got time to get into tonight why is it that if we just matter then we have conscious experiences of the world that's a huge problem um if you take throw christian anti out so christianity i would say and it sounds like zandra touched on this last time for you makes sense of everything on my one of my favorite quotations from any christian writer ever is the british christian writer c.s lewis very famous uh, over here on this side of the atlantic also quite well known i think in the states C.S. Lewis once said, um, I believe in Christianity in the same way as I believe the sun has risen, not because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And so I think Christianity is utterly, totally relevant. Sometimes we we don't we, you know, we just because it's the very air that we breathe and we live in 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 Europe and the States, we just take it for granted. Uh, But everything that we hold dear in our culture actually stands. On Christian faith and on Jesus.
1: Hmm. Well, I listened to—I think it was Jordan Peterson talking about that very topic—and then as you were talking, I thought, "Were you his guest?" <laughs> but no. you weren't. You weren't. That's no, so but there's,
3: um, there's a couple of there's a couple of books actually. He famously did this. There's Tom Holland, who's a okay. British historian, secular historian, uh, wrote an amazing book called Dominion, and that looks at it, interesting. Actually, starts with the crucifixion. And just how counterintuitive it is that a religion founded on a crucified Messiah could turn the world upside down because it's a nonsensical idea. But then he looks at all the things that we hold dear in the West actually stand on on Christianity, right down to the modern day, where he talks about you know stuff that's going on in the you know the sort of so-called woke stuff. And I put that in quote marks because that's an, I don't think it's a helpful word because it's been weaponized. But uh, all the kind of identity politics today, his last chapter points out. That's profoundly Christian, because where do we get the idea that we should care about someone's identity? On atheism, why should you care? If you say, "Well, I my identity is whatever," well, purely on atheism, I might, I might look at you, Janelle, and go, "Well, I don't care. Why do I care?" Um, but it's that Christian idea deep in our culture that says, "I do care," because you're made in the image of God, which means, however much I disagree with you, I should listen to you and take you seriously um, because you bear the you bear the stamp of the Maker. Yeah.
1: Any thoughts on
2: that, Zoe? That was really interesting. Uh, I'm glad I'm born in the family I am, but I wish I had some um, talk about gods and everything and like conversation like that before so I could, Mm -hmm. I don't know, know a little bit about this and like have my own IG growing up. But, yeah. Have you um
3: have you managed to find anybody to talk about these kind of things? You know, in your in your kind of setting in in France, have you tried to find? See, there's, there's a church or a group of kind of Christians that you know you might be able to grab a, You know, sit down and drink coffee with and ask questions in person.
2: Well, there's a church not that far away from my house, but um, I mean, I love going to church in America, but here it's like only really old people and uh, it's not that welcoming, like it really impressed me to go there.
3: We can follow this up afterwards through through Janelle, but I've, I've got quite a few sort of contacts across France, so it might be worth trying to see. I've got quite a few folks involved in student kind of work all across Europe, so it might be interesting to just see whether there's anybody in your neck of the woods, because it may just be that there is stuff happening and you're not aware of it, it'd be brilliant if we could, yeah, there are, trust me, there are younger, There are younger people um, in in France, too. And there's also old people like me.
1: (laughs) Well, Andy, you have a really interesting book coming out, I think, next year. Would you mind sharing a little bit about it?
3: Yeah, so that's very kind of you. Thank you. And uh, so I have a book coming out with an American publisher, so I mustn't be rude. I mustn't be cheeky about Americans. (laughs) Uh, So the next book is with an American publisher, and it's called um, How to Talk About Jesus Without Looking Like an Idiot um is the title of the book and uh, my first two books popular books were aimed at people who haven't got a christian faith so the atheist book obviously aimed at at my uh my secular friends the muslims and christians book um aimed well he's half aimed at at, at muslims and um this new one is the is the first one i've written specifically for christians Mm. Uh, and it's really designed i think janelle to address the fact that so many people in churches i think are afraid of of talking about what they believe, especially they, they, they live in a very secular culture. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me, Zoe, if you have maybe more people, maybe one or two folks around you in your circle of folks who maybe do have some kind of faith, but they may just be afraid of standing up. It's very hard. That was like me when I was at work. I didn't, I didn't, you know, my, my workmates didn't know I was a Christian mm-hmm. um, or most of them didn't. So anyway, the book is designed to help with that. So, in fact, it starts with that story. The first, the first chapter is called "Undercover Christian," and I tell the story of my disastrous time <laughs> in the uh, in the workplace. Uh, just just how awfully bad it was, and then and then how things changed. And I told the story of a lot of people who influenced me as I looked at how they shared their their faith with their friends. And then it teaches some really practical tools, really practical stuff that anybody whether they've been a Christian for five minutes or 55 years and hopefully use to just have more natural conversations about the things they care about with their friends and their neighbors and their colleagues so I think just as Christians we need to get better at conversation
1: I love that. Andy, how, when is that book releasing and can people pre-order it on um, um, Amazon? So,
3: yes, it's on, it is on, it's certainly on Amazon. I hate to sort of use the Amazon thing, but it is on Amazon. If you Google it, if you look on Amazon and it's coming out with, uh, with Tyndale Publishers and um, sometime between Easter and, and the summer. Um, apparently, uh there is a paper shortage worldwide would you who would have thought it and uh, so publishing is a bit chaotic right now so that's why they can't be exactly sure so I think Amazon have the pre-order date as August if you order it now it will be with you by by August but hopefully once it does come out there'll be a big splash and uh if people like my sense of humor it's sort of lots of bad jokes (laughs) Funny sort of British stuff.
1: <laughs> Go pre-order yeah, well. it. It sounds pre-order funny. it and a
3: forward by Lee strobel If anyone knows, you know big American names. Lee has kindly written the forward, so there we are. So
1: one final question, Andy. Thank you so much for being here, both of you. I just have really appreciated this conversation. This is the final question that I always ask everybody. The Finding Something Real podcast is about a journey towards something real. Real is an acronym for restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love. Of those four gifts that we can find in Jesus Christ, which of course there's many more, but which one stands out to you the most in your life right now, and why? Restoration, eternity, authenticity, or love?
3: Love, definitely. So I would, um, yeah, two reasons. One, I mentioned in the context of the um, the book that I wrote, the Muslims and Christians worship the same God, and the difference between the God of Islam, and God of Christianity. I think the love piece is is is, is spectacularly different. And that's always been very important to me. And then I think the other thing as well, I would say um, is that I'm struck by the fact that we, whether we're in France or America, wherever we are, you know, most of our cultures are characterized by what a Canadian friend of mine uh, coined this this term. He coined the term PBA. That they're, coined, they're, they're, they're characterized by PBA. What is PBA? I oh, hear you ask. So perform- PBA is performance-based performance based acceptance. We live in cultures that say you you are accepted if you perform, if you get the right grades at school, if you work hard at work, if you earn enough, hang out with the right people, your social media profile is, you know, sort of active enough or pretty enough or interesting enough. We live in an age that, you know, basically measures people by how they perform. And the problem with that, of course, is all of us mess up at some point. And also that's endlessly tiring. If you think my acceptance is based upon what I do, Well, along comes Jesus and cuts across that radically um, because at the heart of the the, the message of Jesus stands this radical claim that Jesus makes. It says, you are accepted and you are welcomed as you are. Jesus doesn't say, right, before you come to me, get this sorted and do this and do this. Jesus says, come, come on as you are, come as you are. And then, yeah, he offers to then come alongside and begin dealing with stuff, but that acceptance. And as somebody who know is quite driven i think if i wasn't a christian i'd be a nightmare actually because because i like to work hard and achieve stuff and do things it's just wonderful to be daily reminded as i dig into the gospels and encounter jesus there you know what it means to be to be accepted Mm. so i so i so i love that and reminded that that daily and uh, and actually because i've been made to say cheeky things about americans we've just um ju- we're late to the party we've just this month discovered the chosen which is an amazing oh, yeah. gift the states have given to the world of this wonderful retelling of the story of jesus and i think that comes across beautifully um you know that that comes through time and time again that we were reminded that jesus was one who held his arms open wide and said come mm-hmm. come all who are thirsty and come and seek and find so yeah love is the big thing
1: mm, i love that I love that you mentioned The Chosen, too, because I know Zoe loved it, too. And uh, just really grateful for this conversation, Andy and Zoe. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Finding Something Real podcast, friend. This season, we are inviting young women to join me as they share their personal stories and ask honest questions or share objections to the Christian faith. We hope to feature a different story each month, and then invite Christian guests on to share from their own journeys and experiences, and maybe answer some of those questions in follow-up episodes. Friend, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I believe with all my heart that Jesus Christ is still in the restoration, eternity, authenticity, and love business. I know not everyone has experienced that. But if you're curious at all at whether there's something real to be found in Jesus, I invite you to come back next week as we continue on a journey towards finding something real in relationship with him. Until next time.